going to read Acts 2, 36 to the end of the chapter. This may seem like we were just here because we covered the day of Pentecost not long ago, but this is actually resuming our prior series on the Shorter Catechism. And so as we complete this, I also invite you to look at the back of the bulletin where you should find two catechism questions and answers right there. So Acts chapter 2, which we'll find on page 910 in the Pew Bible, page 910 in the Pew Bible, I'm going to read from verse 36 to the end of the chapter, please give your attention to the Word of God. We have here now Peter's closing purpose statement from his sermon. Peter said to the crowd in Jerusalem, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As I said, we are resuming where we were in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that excellent short summary of Christian doctrine. The last sermon that was preached here on this series was preached by Hunter back in June on repentance. What is repentance unto life? So we're picking up with the very next question. It's a timely time, it's a timely place to go back, and a good time to go back, because we're about to start a new year. The beginning of a new year is a good time to reflect on your life and say, how am I doing? And what should I do? And as you say, what should I do in 2021? You also ought to say, and what does God expect of me in 2021? It shouldn't simply be a self-referential question. What do I think I ought to do? What does God say that I ought to do? As the Catechism says, what duty does God require of you in 2021? You know, when the Catechism first poses that question, what duty does God require of us? It says, well, you know, at first, God gave the law through Moses. And we need to know the law. We need to know what God commands us to do. This is the life that pleases God. This is the life that is true to our nature. This is the life that will make life work well. We need to know the law of God. 
And so the Catechism spends a great deal of time going through the Ten Commandments and its implications. But here's the next thing you've got to know about the law of God. At the end of the day, if, if you're looking at the law and saying, okay, God, this is what I'm doing, this is what I have, God, then the law condemns you. And so on the questions just before this one, it said, does anybody keep this law perfectly? No. Well, some sins are worse than others, right? True. What does every sin deserve? Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in the life which is to come. Which is a terrifying answer. Why does it give such a terrifying answer? To drive you to the next question, which is the same question we see here, the crowd asking. Then what should we do? What should we do? They were cut to the heart because they knew they were condemned by that which had just been laid out. And, and we aren't guilty of their sins, but we're guilty of our own sins. What should we do? The Catechism says, summarizing the Bible's teaching. The Catechism says, well, you've got to believe in Jesus and repent of your sins and diligently use the things that God has given to you. You've got to believe in Jesus. That is faith. Crucial. There's a whole question on it. We did it last time. Got to repent of your sins. Crucial. Hunter did a sermon on it last summer. And strictly speaking, those are the two things that you must do before God. You must believe in Jesus and repent of your sins. That must be true of you at a deep and real level inside. And then you are saved. That's why Jesus can say to the thief on the cross, who can do nothing else, then repent and believe. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. God will receive a deathbed conversion, including a vertical deathbed conversion, as in the case of the thief on the cross. But here's the thing. Most of us who believe are not about to die. A lot of people, especially in this country, have prayed the sinner's prayer. Somebody has spoken to them on the bus, on the plane. They've gone to camp, and somebody's spoken at campfire. They've come to a church, and there's been an altar call, and they've been told, you to be saved, you need to repent and believe in Jesus. And so they've prayed the sinner's prayer, and then someone has pronounced to them, all right, and now you're going to heaven. A lot of people say, great. I guess I don't ever have to come back here again. I guess I don't ever have to change anything else. You told me I'm saved, so I am good. I'm done. I was talking to somebody recently, talking about he went to a church, and that's what would be pronounced. He's like, half those people we never saw again. They've been told that we're saved, so okay. Nothing else is needed. I will go back to my life as it was. If that's you, in person or online, we need to ask a question. What does Jesus say about the status of someone who's prayed the sinner's prayer and then gone on living unchanged. Well, Jesus says, you know the tree by its fruit. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
abide in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If any branch does not bear fruit, my Father prunes it and is gathered up and burned. Jesus said, Blessed are those servants whose master will find them doing their assignments when he shall return. So if you prayed a sinner's prayer and then did not die immediately and went on living as you had lived before the sinner's prayer, it looks as though Jesus says that you are not saved. For there is no fruit, there is no doing, there is no abiding. You are a wretched servant. This is by the standards that Jesus has laid out. But there's something off about the teaching that simply says you prayed a prayer and really you're done here. So as we begin this new year, I appeal to you to consider better what Jesus has to say. What is it that we are to do? And here's what we are to do. We are to believe in Jesus, repent of our sins, and enter Christ's church. Notice what they say here. What shall we do? Verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You have the repentance, obviously, it's the first word. You have to believe in Jesus, phrased this way, be baptized in his name. Why would you be baptized in the name of a crucified criminal? Because you believe that this crucified criminal has been made both Lord and Christ by God the Father through his resurrection from the dead. You're baptized in his name because you have faith in his name, and this is the practical step to take. If you believe in his name. If you have prayed the prayer and not been baptized, there's obviously something missing in what you were taught. Look at what it says here. Repent and be baptized. That is the step that the believing person takes. But not only that, when you are baptized, what is happening? You're having the name of Jesus placed on you to say, and now you are part of the church. Baptism is the entrance the entrance sacrament into the church. And so you'll see here, it says, and they were baptized, and they were added, and they continued in this new fellowship. Now, if you're looking at the back of the bulletin, you see the Shorter Catechism does not say the word church. You might want to say, so why are you adding to the Catechism? And the answer is because I've not only read the Bible, I've also read the Confession. And the Confession has an entire chapter on the Church, and it has a following chapter on the Communion of Saints. Shorter Catechism is a summary, every summary drops things out, and this is the biggest mistake of the Catechism, is dropping the word Church at this point. It needs to have it right here. Instead it says, well you have to have his ordinances, the words, sacraments, and prayer. Yes, and where do you get these things? You get them at church. So when they did this summary, it's a very excellent summary in many ways, but this is its number one mistake, not containing the word church there. Now, the larger catechism does have church. But you can see what the concern was. The concern was in England and Scotland, in the 1640s with state churches. Their concern was that you have people going to church because what else are you going to do? 
in a world without television and social media and the NFL. And so it's as good entertainment as you're going to get on Sunday morning. So a lot of people are going to church and thinking they're saved just because they're there. And so larger catechism is saying, well, you're here, but are you really believing? Are you really repenting? That's the concern there. And indeed, that's a continuing concern. But I think in this country, with so many people having prayed the sinner's prayer and never gone to church again, I have the opposite concern. People say, well, I prayed once. And what does the church have to do with anything? I have no idea what the church is for. Well, here's how John Calvin put it. The church is the mother of the godly by whom we must be nourished. Calvin says, we come to Christ, but we remain ignorant, lazy, fickle, we're sheep. And how is it that we will get to Christ's pen? Well, we must not be alone. The world is not and has never been a safe environment for a lone sheep. Because the devil is like a roaring lion, looking for whom he may devour. And so at all times, we've been called into the flock to follow the shepherd together with the rest of the flock. This is where we belong. That's why Jesus pictures the shepherd going out and grabbing us and bringing us in. If we're not in the flock, it's where we need to be for our safety. And so when you read Calvin's Institutes, you come across chapter headings like this. To aid us, God invites us into the society of Christ and holds us therein. Look back at the day of Pentecost. Was it safe for them to join the church? Well, the next chapter talks about a couple apostles getting arrested for healing somebody. The next chapter gets all the apostles being arrested and beaten. After that, you have a deacon getting killed, and then you have all of them getting arrested, and some of them, we find out later, being executed. It was not safe to join this church, but they were called to do it anyway. If they, had not, if they had stayed away from the church because of the danger, there would be no church. There would be no message of salvation. Jesus would have died in vain and you and I would not be saved. But they were courageous. And they held together in the church. There's language of the church as mother. That may strike you as suspiciously Catholic sounding. But it comes out of Galatians 4. And Calvin's not afraid to use this. The church is the mother of the godly, by whom we must be nourished. And there's language, of course, in Scripture of the church is the bride of Christ. Ask yourself, if Christ has willed to marry his people, the church, are we to file for divorce from this church and be separated from Christ? And you notice here, on the day of Pentecost, I said, what is it that we should do? You have repentance. You have faith, symbolized by baptism, a concrete action of faith. Baptism in the name of Jesus, and they were added and became a part of the church, where they then received the word, the sacraments, in prayer. Please remember how central the church is. It's in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It says Catholic. doesn't mean Roman Catholic. The word means universal. There was one universal church 
because there's one body of Christ, because Christ is not divided. There's one body, visible completely to God's eyes, and visible to some extent to our eyes. Because Jesus is not a defeated king, he is building his church, and so his invisible church is largely visible. These are not two churches, but one church, considered under two aspects. And so the confession of faith says, outside of the visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. I know some of you realize that. That's our confession. Outside the visible church. What's the visible church? Uh, You're in one. (laughs) It's a church you can go to. Outside the visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Calvin says it's always disastrous to leave the church. So, what must I do to be saved? To pray the sinner's prayer. And then if your repentance is genuine, you do not go on as before. If your faith is genuine, you become baptized in the name of Jesus, because he calls you to. And you enter into the society that he has begun. The society, which is made up of the communion of saints. And you have this wonderful picture here, described for us in verses 42 to 47. You told how the church goes on existing in the face of pressure. Countries are held together by force. You don't pay your taxes, you'll go to jail. You want to secede from the country, you'll see the army very soon. Countries are held together by force. How is the church held together? together by the Holy Spirit and by forgiveness. And so there is this. If you have prayed the sinner's prayer and then turned your back on the message, there is hope for you as there's hope for the prodigal son. That God is the God of all grace. So we are to return to him taking with his words of confession and actions to join with his church. And to be baptized. The church is the people of God. We are to lodge our citizenship within it. What does God require of us to escape his wrath and curse? To repent and to believe. And to diligently use the things he's given us. That is to be baptized into his church. In which we are then nourished with the word, sacraments and prayer. It is the great aid that God has given to us. To sustain us through the dangers of life. I wish to say a word to those who are not sitting here as members, but are perhaps looking for a church, perhaps listening online. Where are you going to go? There are a lot of churches. What do you look for when you look for a church? At the Reformation, they had to think a lot about that. Because the Roman Catholic Church said, hey, Catholic Church, right here, done. Former said, no. There are two marks above all that you have to look for. Is the word of God being proclaimed? Or is it buried, denied, or ignored? And are the sacraments being practiced as Christ laid them out? Now, it's nice to have more than that. It's nice to have a loving society. You have that in Acts chapter 2. But, you know, they're just about the only church that had the Acts chapter 2 church. You go through the rest of the New Testament, you say the 
church in Corinth sounds awful. There are all kinds of issues there. He tells them to repent. He doesn't tell anybody to leave. He tells them to throw somebody out. But he doesn't tell anybody to leave. Church in Galatia is on the brink of losing, losing the gospel. There's churches in Revelation. At least five of them sound kind of lousy. And in no case are people told, well, you just got to start over again. They're told this church has to repent. So the key marks to seek are, do you have the word preached? And are the sacraments being practiced as Christ appointed? So you go to a church. They don't read the Bible. You haven't been to church yet. You just walk out. A couple times, my wife and I spent a summer in Oregon going to Bible Translators School. All right, so we just spent a time going to a bunch of different churches there in Eugene, Oregon. We went to one, it was a friend's meeting. Great cultural experience. We walked out and we said, now we've got to find a church. Glad they started at 9, so we have time to get somewhere by 11. Okay, thank you. Thank you for starting at 9. All right, there was no word. Like, really, no word. <laughs> if you go and there's no word of God, you need another one. If you go and there's poems and meanderings, you need another one. If you go and there's politics, well, some politics could be okay, but was there something besides the politics? If you go and they just want to make you feel good, did Peter want to try to make him feel good? Know for certain that God made him Lord in Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. That didn't feel good. So they were cut to the heart. So what we need is a church that gives us bad news and good news. That gives us both sin and forgiveness. Not simply a pep talk. And sending you out on a high. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about this Word of God. I don't want to say too much. I'll take Hunter's sermon. He already has it done for next week. I don't want him to go back and revisit it. All set to go. We'll cover these sacraments in prayer. For today, remember this. The church is the mother of the godly, with whom we must maintain communion. The one in Calvin's paragraph headings. It's in and through her that Christ communicates the benefits of redemption. And so at the end of this year in which many have suffered much, let's be real with ourselves. God requires faith in Jesus and repentance. And he calls his people to truly repent and to the fellowship of his church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you for your mercies to us sinners. In the middle of our selfishness and preoccupation with little things and our sins, that you are merciful to us and you join us together and you call us. You call us to show that same mercy and forgiveness to each other that you have shown to us. So help us, Lord, to grow in this, to grow in your grace, to grow as a congregation. Lord, we pray for those who are between congregations, that they would not wander and be snared. We pray that you would gather them in to your flock. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.